Don talked about the tribulation, and it was a great blessing to know all about the... It's hard to say it's a blessing, really. I mean, it's a terrible thing to know that the world is going to get worse and worse, and eventually we're going to have this, this total destruction on the earth. But there's a lot to be hopeful for about, and that's why I'm really glad I'm going to tell, talk to you a little more about something called the rapture, and I'll explain that. But uh, I also thank the uh, karate group that came in and, and demonstrated for us, a martial arts group. They were great, and uh, it, I consider it my sport. I've never done much in sports growing up. When you read in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, he was a big sports fan too. He, he used sports analogies all the time when he was preaching. And uh, I'm sure that if the time was, you'd find a, the Apostle Paul, he's out in a toga at the Olympics or something like that, he would be there. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul explained that sports competitors go into strict training. He says they beat their bodies, literally. They, they condition their bodies to, uh, to be able to do the sports because they want to be the best. They want to win the prize. And that prize at the time was usually just a crown of leaves on their head and about 15 minutes of fame. But Paul also pointed out that crowns, the victories, would not last long, being only leaves, and that eventually their victories would be forgotten. I mean, really, how many people remember the football stats of the year before or the year before that? We forget these things. Well, I enjoyed martial arts, and I've enjoyed what our instructors have done. They put us into strict training, and usually my body afterwards, after each practice, feels really quite beaten, as Paul described it. But no matter how much I train and get better and hopefully master it, I know that one day, everything I have learned, that my body is going to age. And eventually, the skill set that I'm learned, I won't be able to use much any longer, and that eventually, I'll be too feeble to use them. And I'm going to die and you're going to die, and every single person in this room is destined for death. After all, what are the two inevitabilities in life? There are one, death, and two, uh, especially under this administration, taxes. Yes, death and taxes. That's very true. But is that true? I mean, we know taxes for sure, but is death truly inevitable for everybody throughout human history? Well, would you believe that the Bible teaches for one specific generation that death will not befall them. Well, let's look what the Bible has to say about that generation. One of the, or the, I should say, most uh, largest, biggest promises in the Bible that talked about the most if I could move, ah, there we go, thank you, is that Jesus' promise. He says in John 14, 3, I will come back and take you to be with me. Let me repeat that again. I will come back and take you to be with me. Now that is amazing because the second coming, Jesus already came and it's been 2,000 years, but the second coming of Jesus is one of the most talked about things in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there is about 500 prophecies concerning Jesus coming back. And one in every 25 verses in the New Testament talk about Jesus. You can find that in Zechariah 14 and Matthew 24 and other chapters. Now, if the 300, there were 300 prophecies, general prophecies about Jesus coming the first time, 109 specific, every single one of them happened. Jesus' birth fulfilled 109 prophecies, which is astronomical. Mathematicians have sat down and proven that just eight would be impossible almost. It would be, be fulfilled in one man. And yet Jesus fulfilled it. So if all 300 prophecies in the Old Testament were 100% fulfilled, what are the chances that the second coming prophecies will be fulfilled? I'd say 100%. Now, let's try to figure out when this happens. Now, the return of Jesus coincides, and Don was speaking about this earlier, with the worst time in human history. 
It's got a few names. The tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week. Those are all a few names, but let me read you Jeremiah 37. How awful that will be, they will be. None will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob, but he will be saved out of it. Jacob being another name for the country of Israel. There is a time coming that will be the worst in human history, and it hasn't happened yet. Daniel 9.27 tells us when it begins. It begins when the new world leader, who the Bible calls Antichrist, makes a covenant, a peace treaty with the country of Israel, and that it will last seven years. You can find that in Daniel 9 and Revelation 11, 12, and 13. And it has three purposes for the tribulation. One, God will pour out his wrath because of the evil on the world. Now, this has happened before, the flood. Earth, humanity got so evil that eventually God had to deal with it. He could not let all of humanity be spoiled and be evil. And so God poured out his wrath on earth in that time. And he said this will happen again when society becomes so corrupt that he has to come back and deal with that evil on the earth. Two, he has to regather Israel back into the land and force them to acknowledge Jesus Messiah. Not just Israel, but everybody on the planet. Things will get so bad. Have you ever gotten to a point where your life gets so bad that you cry out to God for help? And that's what this time is for. It's to get people to get serious about God, and he's especially his son, Jesus Christ. And three, it's for the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to return and fight and have victory and set up his kingdom on earth. The ultimate destination of the end of the tribulation is for Jesus' second coming. Now, that terrible time of trouble, tribulation, that terrible time of trouble, would be awful and be no hope if we are going to have to live through it. And you've got to think, why would God pour out his wrath on the people he loves, the people he calls his children? Well, I can show you in the Bible that he says over and over and over again, the Holy Spirit, that those who have trusted Jesus as their Savior will not have to endure the tribulation. Let's look at Ephesians 5, 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Now, who is the wrath for? It's only for, as it says, those who are disobedient. And who are those who are disobedient? You can find that in John 3.36. It says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. God's wrath remains on those who have continued to reject Jesus' lifeline of salvation. Or look at Romans 5.9. It confirms that believers in Christ will be saved from God's wrath. It goes, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Or how about this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Awesome promises. And they keep going. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Jesus is the one who is supposed to rescue us from that wrath. Well, Colossians 3.4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. It is Christ who takes us. And where does he appear? To bring us to, with him to glory. And one of the best ones, the best definition I would say is Revelation 3.10, best verse. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I will keep you from that hour of trial, God says. And again and again and again in these verses, Jesus promises that those who believe in Jesus and have called him to forgive him their sins and be their Savior will not experience God's wrath. God's wrath from the flood, 
God's wrath from the tribulation, and God's wrath from eternal damnation. And those who have trusted in Christ will not experience that. And we can see examples of that in the Bible. God has shown that he's done this in the past. Look at uh, Enoch, for example. Enoch was a man who was lived before Noah. He said, by faith, Enoch was taken up from this life, so he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. He was not disobedient. He was righteous. Now, Enoch, because of the long lifespan, would have lived up to the flood, but God took him before that flood happened. Or look at Noah. Noah and his family were the only righteous people on an entire planet, and God removed them out of the deluge that destroyed the earth and reformed it and kept them outside of it. Or Lot, when the two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah and two others, were so evil and so detestable that God had taken Lot and his daughters and wife and removed them from the destruction before having. He takes people away before he puts his wrath down upon anything. Or even Rahab, when Joshua was surrounding Jericho and the walls came tumbling down, Rahab was saved from the destruction of Jericho. Her house was on the walls. If all the walls fell down, probably a little sliver was her house, and that was the only part that saved up. God saved Rahab and her family, just as he promised. Now, if Jesus promises to spare us from his wrath, those who've accepted his lifeline of salvation, then how's he going to do it? How are we going to do that? Well, we can find the answer in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, and it reads, After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Now, let's look at that term, caught up. Now, if you go back to the Bible, remember, it was written in originally Greek, and Hebrew and Aramaic. And if you go back to the original Greek, the word caught up is a word called harpezo. And when Latin came and they took the Greek and translated into Latin, the only Bible for 1,100 years was the Latin Vulgate. You could only read it in Latin. They changed that word to harpe- from caught up, harpezo, to rapio. And so the Englishized version of the word Latin, uh, Latinized rapio, is rapture. So I could say the great caught up or the great snatching away or the beam me out, Scotty, or something. But I'm going to use that word rapio or rapture just to make a one-word thing, and I'm going to call it the rapture. God will rapture us from his coming wrath. And we can find this in all sorts of texts in the Bible. For instance, John 14, 1 through 4. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. And in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there, says Jesus. There to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am and you know the way to that place where I'm going. Well, where is the Father's house? And lots of other verses says this Father's house is in heaven. And that's the destination of those raptured. Those raptured from the earth are destined to go to heaven. And this verse also tells us that we can trust God, trust that God will do this because he has promised that he will do this. Or Luke 21, 36. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Escape. Here he says there is a way to escape this and to stay watchful because Jesus is coming back. And once we escape those terrible times, where will we be? We'll be with the Son of Man and another name for the Son of Man. It's Jesus Christ. Or let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. 
For the perishable must clothe itself in the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up by victory. Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, this passage gives us a lot of good detail about what will happen. For one, our earthly human bodies, they just can't hack the trip. They're not powerful enough. They're strong enough. They can't go to heaven. God is pure energy and light. He's spirit, and it would just melt to anybody to look at him, and our eye sockets would go. Our brains would just overload with too much knowledge. So our bodies can't make the trip. They can't hack it, but they will be transformed. And you can find that in 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. It's raised imperishable. In other words, the opposite of a perishable. That's meat. You ever seen meat gets perishable? It's green and it falls apart. It dies. But this will be imperishable. It will never rot. It will never die. It will be in glory. Have you ever seen a sunset and see the sun go up and you say, oh, that is so glorious. Our bodies will be that way too. They'll be raised in power. No more weakness or infirmity. They'll be powerful. And they'll be spiritual bodies. Physical you can touch them and feel them, but they'll be spirit-powered by the Holy Spirit. 1 John 3, 2-3, When he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So, not everybody is going to die. There will be a generation who will skip the death process and experience what's called the rapture. This verse also tells us that it's going to happen very fast. It says in a flash, in a twinkle of an eye, all of a sudden, boom, you're gone. It's out of there. It'll be so fast and a trumpet will be heard. It'll be a noisy thing. There'll be a loud trumpet from heaven. And it says those who have died before the rapture in Christ, since Jesus was resurrected, they too will be resurrected. They'll be brought back from the dead. Because Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' victory over death, becomes our victory over death. And these people will be resurrected too. What's neat is that the transformation of our old bodies means that our old sin nature, our human bodies that cause us to want to do bad things all the time, that cause us to rebel against God, will also be killed because when we get our new bodies, that old sin nature will be ruined. So it will be the death of sin and the death of death. And that's just awesome. And with that death, then there's no pain. There's no sting of dying. No fear of our loved ones who accepted Jesus going through painful deaths. Because it happens just like that, and it's a total transformation to something better. And that because we have this hope, we can stand firm in Jesus Christ. Our faith in him is sure, because by his promise we know that we are assured that Jesus will take us, and we can trust Jesus in that and have faith in him. And he also says, while you're on earth, do the good works. While you're waiting for me, do something while you're waiting. Well, I can talk about all the rapture all I want, but why don't I show you a possible example of what the rapture would be like. This is a video from the Potter's Church. It's a church in Australia, and if you go to Tangle or GodTube, they've got like a million-some hits on this thing, but it's a great video. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Watch therefore... For you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. I want you to know, church, that Jesus Christ could come this month. Or he might come next week. Or he could even come...
every time that flash comes, I still jump. It just, I've shown this to a few other audiences, and you always see them go <laughs> like that. But it'll be like that. It'll be a lot like that, I believe. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 will give us even more details about this. It goes, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are left and are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, again, this passage gives us a lot more detail about that the rapture will happen. For one, it begins off the fact we have hope and knowledge that the rapture, that God loves us so much that he's not going to leave us to be beaten up. And I, think about think about your parents or your wife or husband or something. Let's say my wife. I love my wife. But can you imagine if I beat my wife up for seven years straight and then at the end of the seven years said, honey, let's get married? No way. She wouldn't even last one beating, I'm sure. I'd probably get the beating. But that's not how God works. He would not take the people he loves and he calls his children and beat them up under his own wrath and anger for seven years before rescuing them. So we have hope in the knowledge that God loves us that much that he's going to take us. And again, it reiterates that Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' beating death on the cross and coming back from the grave, his victory is our victory so that it enables us to be resurrected as well. Now, again, it tells us the dead in Christ, they will be resurrected first. But again, if it happens like that, you know, it doesn't really matter too much. They'll be first, we'll be second who are alive, if we're still alive when it happens. And that Jesus will come down from heaven, and he doesn't come all the way to earth. It says he stays in the clouds. He stops there, and he receives those being raptured up to him. It also tells us there's going to be a loud command from God's head angel, an archangel. And it doesn't tell us what he says, but maybe he says, it's time, or come on up, or glory time, or something. I have no idea. But he's got an announcement to make. Come up here, and there will be a trumpet to a very loud trumpet. Now, whether everybody will hear the trumpet or only the believers in Christ will hear the trumpet, I don't know, but there will be a trumpet. God likes trumpets. He uses them all the time. So it also says that we will remain with the Lord where he lives forever. Isn't that awesome? It means we get to skip all of the tribulation, all that death, all of the rest of our life and the torment of that and be with God forever. Now Isaiah 26, 19 through 21 tells us these little Old Testament hints to it. But your dead will live, their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Go, my people, enter your rooms and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by. See, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the bloodshed upon her. She will conceal her slain no longer. The Old Testament reiterates that God's people will stay in heaven, where we we read a little earlier, where he's building those rooms for those believers in him, that place in heaven, while God pours out his wrath on the rest of the earth, not to in, in part punishment, but also to get them to say, oh, Lord, I give up. I, you know, I accept you to be my savior. Or we can also read in Malachi 3.17. Or not. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possessions, I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son 
who serves him. So those who are saved are the Lord's. They are protected by a hand that cannot be conquered. And we are, isn't it amazing that God says he treasures us? That we are important to him? He's not some God sitting up on a cloud who could care less about our lives. But he actually, he loves us and he treasures us as we're something important. I mean, think of something you treasure in life. I treasure my family. They're important to me. I wouldn't let anything happen to them. Uh, maybe you have a, a favorite toy when you're a kid. You still keep that around as an adult because you treasure it. It's important to you and you value it. And he says, in his love, he will spare what he treasures. Now, I got another video. This is another example of what it might be like when the rapture happens. We are anticipating a 90% jump. particularly about that video was, did you notice the audience's faces, the people were just doing everyday things? Some of them looked terrified, like, what is that? Others, they knew what it was. Isn't it amazing to think that when that finally happens, it'll be like, wow, finally, this is what we've been waiting for all this time. And for others, they'll be puzzled and wonder what that is. Well, you might have a few other questions about, we're just talking about the people that have been resurrected that will be raptured from Jesus' resurrection to now. Well, what about the people in the Old Testament? After all, weren't they, don't they deserve resurrection? Well, the Bible says in Daniel 12, 1 through 2, that those people, those who believed in God by faith and Jesus' blood covered their sins, they'll be resurrected at the end of the seven-year tribulation. 
For those who die believing in Jesus their Savior during the tribulation, they too will be resurrected at the end of the tribulation. The rapture is for the church, the church created when Jesus resurrected to all those who trust in him today. Well, we are told to do three things while we wait upon the Lord. For one, while we wait on the Lord, we need to be watchful. Over and over in the scriptures, we're told that we need to be watching for the appearance of the Lord. For instance, Matthew 24, 44. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. You're just not expecting it. Or Matthew 24, 42. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. There are no signs preceding it that tell us when this will happen. Or Luke 12, 35. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Isn't that neat? Be dressed for readiness. You all remember back in American history, the Minutemen? They were the ones when the British were coming, they could get out of bed in a minute, they were dressed, they could get their guns and be on the field in just a minute. Or what about your lamps burning? Today we keep the front porch light on. You know a guest is coming, your, your wife is coming home from work, or your, your uncle is coming to visit, or something really great, you keep the light on. You know that you're anticipating that somebody is coming, and that's what the Bible says. That we need to be watchful. We need to keep an eye out and living, expecting that Jesus will come any moment. The second thing the Lord tells us to do is to do good works. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship. Our, we are God's creation, what he created. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know that age-old question you hear all the time, why am I here? What is my purpose in life? Isn't it great the Bible tells us what our purpose in life is? It says while we're here in this little lifespan, we are to do good works that God already created for us to do. Somewhere out there, before time, God created me to sit here and tell you about the rapture. This is one of the works that he's given for me to do, and I praise the Lord for it. Or also, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor is not in vain. The work we do, we put hard into serving the Lord and sharing the gospel with other people, has a purpose. It's not for no reason. There is a reason for everything the Lord does and sets up. And third, and this is to me, I think, one of the most important, we can have hope knowing that Jesus will catch us up, that he will rescue us from the worst time in human history that's coming. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Titus 2.13. Again, he says, Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed, 1 Peter 1.13. And again, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For when we shall see him as he is, everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is hope. 1 John 3, 2 through 3. We have hope in the rapture. We can have hope in God. Isn't that amazing? And if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you now are a child of God. You are part of the big title, the church. Not an individual church building or location, but of a body of believers that are brothers and sisters in Christ and children of God. And you also have hope in the rapture. And this means that you are going to beat death. You will avoid the horrors of the tribulation to come by the rapture. And you will live forever in new bodies in heaven in perfect love and fellowship with your Savior. Now, if that's not hope, I don't know what is. So I ask you, have you taken that hope? Have you asked Jesus to be your Savior? Do you know that God loves you so much that he will rescue you from wrath, that he will bring you to heaven with him, and that he cherishes and loves you? Because he does. 
And if you haven't accepted Jesus your Savior, what are you waiting for? A tornado? I mean, you're probably waiting for something. It's not worth waiting for because you could die at any moment. Accept Jesus' gift of salvation. Say, dear Lord, please forgive me of my sins and be my Savior. And you'll be transformed and you'll have a new life and a much better life to come. And if you want to talk about this, we're going to have a break shortly. And come to me, come to any of our speakers. I'd be happy to share God's love with you. Let's pray and let's also thank the Lord for the passing of the tornado. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your great love for us. We thank you that you treasure us. I mean, what a great thing that you're not distant, that you love us so much. You even protected us from a tornado today, and that's great. And we do pray you'll keep those tornadoes away and that we'll continue to go on schedule. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for the hope you give us in the rapture. And we pray you'll equip us to do those good works that you were prepared for us to do and that we'll be watchful and waiting because you could come at any time. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. In your precious name, amen.